Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the 13th of October of 2021. And it's spooky times again. The because... spookiest day of the spookiest month. Yeah, that's right. It's not Halloween. It's the 13th day. A dark day. Is, is that what it's actually called? No, but we could call it okay. that. You could make up whatever you want nowadays. I mean, yeah, I guess that is true. Let's take advantage of the misinformation network that is at our fingertips and spread various rumors about what days are called. Exactly. Nick, get on to Facebook and message your uncles. <laughs> Tell them it's Dark Day. I don't like going on Facebook, though. It's a hellscape, so... Yes, and I appro- go on Twitter. Ap- <laughs> appropriate for this time of year. Ah, the haunted point. house of the internet, Facebook. <laughs> haunted by people's weird, outdated views. <laughs> the true horror is seeing what your family thinks with unfiltered thoughts. With Nick, I, would... I, have I, an... that, but it is. I have an important question for you. An important question. What's that? What does a vampire eat for no. dinner? Uh, coffin drops. Uh, mashed potatoes and gravy. <laughs> you could have substituted really any horror monster for vampire in that one, but vampire has the sexiest cadence. Don't worry, it only gets better from here. (laughs) I couldn't tell if that was an attempt to make a pun like halfway through the word, but once you had already reached the half after you could have made the pun, or if you just said that weird because of the fake vampire accent. (laughs) What do you mean fake? (laughs) Spookmaster General is authentic Transylvanian. Transylvania is not weird, right? I'm not. Transylvania. I'm not offending somebody. (laughs) It's a real place. Yes. No. no. What? Transylvania is real? Yes. Hold on. It's not real. In well, in Romania, yeah, but the like the country (laughs) of Transylvania isn't real. I didn't say it was a real country. I said it was a real place. <laughs> I just, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I understand that fucking, like, Hell's Peak, whatever, is a real place in Nevada or whatever. But it's not, like, a real place, right? Yeah, you know. Like that fake country Germany where Frankenstein came from. Yeah. All those made-up stories, like Hogwarts. I bet he took a magic card to get over there. Stupid Frankenstein. Frankenstein going to Hogwarts. What an interesting... What Nick? an interesting, like, two-minute improv sketch premise. Like. All right, Nick. I'll be the teacher, and you're going to be Frankenstein. Ah, it looks like we have a new student today. Hello. Oh, okay. Well, based off the bolts in your neck, I assumed that you would perhaps be less eloquent, but you seem very friendly. Oh, that's a, that's a filthy stereotype. You know, it's just like you people <laughs> you know, saying that, oh, you can't come here if you're not pure of blood or if you can't cast magic. What kind of bullshit uh, all, is all this anyway? You've got, you've got slurs for non-magical people. How fucked up is that? Also, there's a caretaker here who is a non-magical person. Doesn't he have some sort of like 
protective rights as 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 a citizen a minority in your town no you just like call him say that oh he's just a filthy asshole that nobody likes and that way you don't have to give him any rights or any protections against you know all the various ailments that he has to deal with that he has no natural defenses against so anyway i think you're all the real monsters here grar fire fire well, I am Slytherin, so I am legally allowed to be racist. So, <laughs> spot on, though. Yeah. <laughs> Why else would they be there? You're going to have four houses and one's defined by being racist? I feel like they have to have some kind of, like, look, it's just, we need it. The, and this is the Nazi house. Now, they may have... <laughs> So, here's uh, Hero House, Nerd House, Chill House, Nazi House. You're like, hold on, what was that last one? You're like... Nazi House, you look... You may disagree with their views, but they make up a core of the population and you just kind of have to deal with them unless they deliberately take actions to kill all of you, which they will do because they are Nazis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to happen. That's actually part of their final is to start like a, a, a riot of some kind or to try to hurt somebody. That's just it's part of their curriculum. They'll fail. That's fine. They're usually dumb. They suck. They're not in the smart house for a reason. You get what I'm saying? But... It is a thing. Watch out for him. Frankenstein's from Austria, not Germany. Oh, but see, I've never read that book, so <laughs> I just I, un- I can understand that. It's only like four hundred years old. You haven't had time to like get to That's get around. <laughs> get around to like, it. I, would, I didn't exist for. First off, I don't think it was that old. Of a book. <laughs> when did Frankenstein come out? We're gonna find out right now. Eighteen eighteen. That's like. That's 300. That's decent. No! <laughs> That's like 400 years, basically. <laughs> it's right around the corner. All right, we're, we're done with that. Look, we've got... I've, look, Chris, we're wasting precious time that yeah. we could spend delving into the deep and complex lore of the manga that we took as a recommendation this week. So the manga that we're talking about today is Monkey Peak... Now, Nick, what is Monkey Peak about? If you were to sum it up in two words, perhaps that are in the title of its its own name, what would you say about this movie or about this manga? I mean, I would start with Killer Monkey, not not with Monkey Peak. But I mean, the the, the latter does give you an indication of so, where. So, so what you're place. saying? There's a killer monkey. What location is this 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 manga set in? Mountains. Yeah. Okay, so Monkey Peak is a pretty apt name, I guess. Pretty, at that point, apt, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a manga by Shinasaka Koji and Kometa Akihiro, and it ran from 2016 to 2019. Although information about this is honestly kind of difficult to find because this is not a particularly well-known series, despite having a pretty decent run at three years, and it is about a company. Uh, who do some sort of um, work vacation thing where every all the employees go together with the CEO and their division bosses and stuff on a hike through the mountains. But it turns out there's a killer monkey there. <gasps> what? Wants to kill them all. And them specifically, seemingly. And... That is essentially the one paragraph ladder pitch and all the relevant information about the series that you need to know. A monkey 
kills people in the mountains and is essentially a slasher villain that looks like a monkey. Mm. Okay. So, so, I, so this series is not particularly interesting to talk about, though there are several parts of it that absolutely flummox me because you have given the, the quick, example of this series a bunch of people are on a mountain they all worked for this company and a killer monkey is killing them off slowly uh more things happen but the thing that baffles me is so this series uh, i think has like 59 chapter scanlated at this point it hasn't been officially translated yet uh does not seem very likely it'll be picked up but you never know who knows in any moment uh as the boom the monkey peak fever will hit a pitch and everybody will start going for it because apparently he has a sequel series i don't know um 59 chapters takes up about six volumes. Half the series. That is half. That is half of this series. And I cannot explain to you how mind boggling it is. Because I I read 50 chapters of this series. In my mind, as I was approaching chapter 50, I was like, all right, we're like, we just finished act two. We're closing in towards the end. There's only like a handful of characters still left. We're right. closer to the end than the beginning. And then to find out, oh, no, no, no. We're we're much further away from that point than we are now. And I don't, like, I'm trying to fathom in what world this series, like, it, it's our world, but what happens for six more volumes of this series that hasn't already been done? They've killed monkeys by the point. Mm-hmm. Wait, oh, by the way, there's also multiple monkeys. More, 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 multiple more. monkeys. But they've killed monkeys at this point in the series. And, like, it's it's weird because there's a huge cast. And a lot of them die. But there's enough little teases of characters that you would get the impression there's twists in this series. You really would think that. They really, <laughs> really do. Because there are connections between some of the characters. Like, some of the more heroic characters, like, knew each other in high school, for example. And there are connections between, like, oh, you know, these characters worked in the same division together. Oh, this character is kind of up to something because he was doing something shady when he was at the company. And I really did think that maybe there was going to be, like, some sort of commentary on the flaws in the, you know, the Japanese working uh, creed of like, oh, this is how things are. This is the structure. And no, there is none of that. (laughs) Now, in fairness, again, there's half of the series that we haven't even read. So I assume that there is meant to be some connection because this is specifically a Japanese pharmaceutical company that has recently been in a big controversy. I forget what the exact reason was. I think they put some drugs out in the market that were dangerous, essentially, or something like that. Side effects, and they say it was the fault of the research division when maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and there's the implication at one point they're like, wait, what if the monkey is targeting us because we are part of that pharmaceutical company. Right. And then later on, there's like worries that someone on the team has betrayed them and has been working with the monkeys all along. And then eventually you find out someone is working for the monkeys. Hold on. <laughs> I want to stress the point. You say that as if 
those things are logically led up to. <laughs> they are not. Yes. <laughs> there is a killer monkey killing people, and all of a sudden one of them says, what if one of us is a traitor who's working with the monkeys? <laughs> And then they decide that is what's happening. Yeah. There is a traitor among us working with the monkeys. Someone has been working for the monkeys all this time. And we they're have to monkeys. figure out who. <laughs> well, Nick, they've learned how to use bow and arrows. So they're super intelligent murder monkeys. Um, yes. I get, I don't know. Uh, I, I can't remember. Like there's implication that there's more probably to this story than what we're getting. Um. And I presume there is some level of twist. I I, I think it's uh, Lucoas in our Discord. It has given me the only snapshot of the last half of the series, which is apparently uh, towards the end, they have to go out and hunt the Monkey King or something like that. And it just sounds so dumb. And, and the, the, the football player guy is like the final antagonist or something. What? So that angel, that yeah. warrior of justice that was very subtly being built up as a as an antagonistic force yeah. by torturing his friends. He did it for good reasons though. Good. Which is he wanted to. Um I I this series is not good. Like I don't know how to discuss so like part of Halloween and horror sometimes is cheesy dumbness. Like yes. I, I forget what the name of it, but the resident evil series you read a couple years ago With was biohazard. biohazard. It was dumb. It was just a dumb, stupid series. And I kind of enjoyed it. I want to enjoy monkey Pete for being this dumb series where a giant killer monkey walks around and just murders people because these are like the dumbest motherfuckers on the planet. This is a group of people who the first night they wake up and like three fucking fourths of their group have been murdered by this monkey in a single night. Mm -hmm. And I feel like every single situation that crops up after that one character has the response of, we should split up like every, it's like, like <laughs> they're like, Hey, let's all hand, let's all head down the same pathway together, but let's split up first. So inevitably one of us will get attacked by the monkey first and we won't all be around for it. And they try to like explain it away later on to be like, that was just the monkey's accomplice trying to secretly break us apart from each other. So the monkey could go. It's, it's always the dumbest shit to try to explain it. And it's just like, this thing was like a hair's width away from being dumb enough to be enjoyable, but it does not hit that mark. Doesn't. There are certain things that are just lacking in the department of making this actually a fun series. Like there, there are moments here and there where you just kind of throw up your hands at how stupid everyone is and how easily this these this monkey and then later these monkeys are killing them. For example, there's a point where they reach this cabin, which they think is going to be their salvation, yeah. but it's like 20 chapters into the series, so it's not. Uh, <laughs> And it turns out there is a monkey waiting there to attack them with a bow and arrow. So it shoots one of them and lethally wounds like one of the leaders of their group. And so at this point, everyone's been hiking through the mountains, running short on water, and they're really angry. So they're just like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just fucking rush this thing and kill it. And so like three or four people rush this monkey and it kind of escapes into the cabin and it ends up shooting at them as they're trying to reach it. And so there's this really weird sequence 
where it shoots the guy, hits him in like the chest or the shoulder, and then it shoots him again. And then it shoots him again. It shoots him like three or four times. Foom, foom, foom. While the others are 20 feet away from it. And somehow it still has time. While it's focus firing this guy with a bow and arrow to still shoot and kill them without moving backwards and then get away. Their attempts to resist this thing are so pathetic that it can just go to town on this one guy and still kill all of them with a bow and arrow. Uh, the, the, the survival realism of this series as well is wildly inconsistent because sometimes oh, yeah. they're like, you can't walk around on without shoes on. Uh, this guy's in dress shoes. It's definitely going to kill you. And then there is a scene where the main character is charging one of the monkeys with the bow and arrow and the monkey fires at him and he blocks it with his teeth. He catches the arrow in his mouth. Which I have to say is legitimately the best moment in this entire fucking But manga. it's so fucking out there. Like, it's this fucking one Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift moment where he's just like, conch, and catches the arrow. And never again does anyone display that level of badassery in the series. It's fucking mind-blowing. It, it really does. It, it, it really is inconsistent. And I think the thing about it that gets me is this has the problem that a lot of like modern horror movies and stories do, which is that the victims are completely uninteresting and not likable. There is like there are a couple of ones that have some semblance of character, but legitimately almost any time that a character starts to get like a bit of backstory, it means they're going to yeah. die in that chapter it, there there's like i think two different instances i can remember a character gets a backstory to flesh them out and to give them some context and then they die if not immediately after very soon thereafter and you're just like oh so you made me kind of like them just early enough to then murder the shit out of them um there's there's so many characters that are just stereotypical they're just deadweight bodies basically yeah, there, there's one overweight character in the group, and he's just, oh, he's a worthless load who whines all the time. And then he literally says to himself while they're trying to fight off the monkey, I don't want anyone else to die because of me. And so he sacrificed himself to try and kill the monkey, thereby letting someone else die because of him. Uh, it's often infuriating because there's so little regard for like any sort of interesting character or any sort of like non-stereotypical you know oh this person is cool and athletic and that's it that's all that really matters uh there the monkey is honestly the most disappointing thing i think about this because it makes one face yeah it's just constantly just kind of staring it needs to be goofier i need that monkey to show up in like a corn cob like a corn cob hat and like with a pipe and shit like that or something like or like when it was like when they arrived at the cabin it should have been seen in a chair drinking lemonade and then shoot them with the boat like just be fucking obnoxious and stupid and kind of cheesy and weird like it, it it does act obnoxious sometimes is the weird thing like they show up at the cabin and this again monkey 
this, you know, huge six and a half foot tall monkey. It has sabotaged them. Mm-hmm. So like they're desperate for water and it's waiting for them at the cabin and it literally comes outside with two bottles of water and just spills the water out in front of them. Like, ah, I, I, I spilled your water and it's just kind of staring at them blankly, almost as if it's just a dude in a mask or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But so and then they're like, well, clearly the monkey could have poisoned all the supplies here. <laughs> like, And it God. did. It did. <laughs> It did, and it's, but is this you know? It only uses like a machete and a bow and arrow. So it and it uses apparently cyanide to poison the food. So is where, this where does it get this stuff? How does it inject it into canned foods and beverages without it the sabotage being obvious when its only tools seemingly are stone and basic metal weapons and it also it also knows how to sadistically pull back as well because there's two different kinds of canned food it poisons one of them and not the other and then it leaves really them enough leaves the labels to yeah. only poison one kind of food. and then leaves them soda so they'll have just enough supplies to slowly whittle themselves down a little bit for like it's like such a grandiose weird level of machinations of evil that this monkey has to like systematically eliminate them but also give them small ways out of it <laughs> And also, it'll sometimes have literally the entire group dead to rights, and they'll just kill, like, four people and then just leave. Yeah. Not because it's been chased off, but because it's like, all right, that's enough, and then just leave. Yeah, I'm done with this. I don't understand if the monkey's supposed to be, like, a predator, and it's just enjoying the hunt, or if this is all part of the plan that they have hatched together with the traitor among the group. <laughs> the traitor that definitely exists because we figured it out immediately with no train of logic leading up to it that is at least spoken out loud. So, I want to I say my favorite part of this series. It's the moment where I, I, I exhaustedly went to our Discord and just typed, this manga fucking blows. And that is, uh, they get to the cabin you, you mentioned. And while they're at the cabin... Um, in the middle of the night, one person gets caught opening the back door. And they're like, this person's a traitor because one of the people who was killed in their group what didn't look like they were killed by the monkey. It looks like something else killed them. So they had suspicion someone in their group killed one of them. And they tie this person up and they're like, you're the monkey's assistant. And they just start torturing him. And it's it's this big morality moment because like the characters are supposed to kind of root for like uh, I don't want I don't this is going too far. We shouldn't be like cutting off this guy's toes or anything like that. This person is just getting abused. Um, and like the next day, it's just this person sobbing, essentially. Like, please, just untie me. I'm in a lot of pain. Two hikers show up, unconnected yes. to anything. They just show up, yes. and they're like, hey, no, we're not a rescue group. We're hiking. Seems like something bad's going on. Oh, yeah. I'm going to pull out my satellite phone. Yeah. They let, they at some point untied this guy, or he breaks free. I, I don't remember. Either way, this dude who is literally missing toes because they've been cut off sprints forward before anyone else can notice him grabs the fro the phone and throws it over a cliff because he's like no if you call them the police will come and i'll get arrested and i don't want that to happen and then to close the chapter off the monkey finds the phone at the bottom of the cliff and breaks it with a stick and you're like 
This is the dumb. Why haven't introduced the phone? If you had to come up with such a stupid way to get rid of it immediately. <laughs> like every fucking dude just, st just stood there and watched as this dude who's been tortured and has had his toes cut off somehow outraces them and out reflexes everybody to grab this phone and throw it off a cliff. And you're like, the fuck is this? Yeah, it's very dumb. I think that there is a very obvious audience for this series, which is just if you find the idea <laughs> of stupid people being killed by <laughs> monkeys, then, hey, it is exactly fucking that. And it kills a lot of people. If that sounds like a fun time to you, yeah, that happens. It's just that it's dumb. So... If also, if you're listening to this and you know how this series ends, I would love for you to tell us how it ends because I'm very curious if any of the stuff they set up, because there was about halfway through this series that we read that I was convinced. I was like, there aren't even monkeys. These are just peoples in costumes, right? Or something right. like that. Because they're all, as you said, like six feet tall. They, they call them monkeys. I don't know if that's the word I would even use for them because they don't really look i mean they look ape-like but they don't look right. like monkey per se so in my I mind don't think you ever see it i don't think you ever see tails i was gonna say you don't see tails apes. and then yeah. you just see like their whole body is basically just a giant mess of like long fur so like in my mind i just assumed it was eventually going to be revealed like no these are people who are killing you just dressed as monkeys and like some scooby-doo-esque plot like oh we'll kill all of you and then blame it on the monkey spirit that lives on the mountain or whatever um, so I'll be curious to find out what the fucking deal is with this series at the end. I'm, I'm not curious enough to like go out and buy Japanese volumes and try to translate or anything like that. But if someone just, cause there's no Wikipedia for this thing or anything like that. Like if someone can just tell me how this stupid thing ends, I'd be very thankful for that. Well, Hey, maybe we'll get a, uh, We'll get some info in a future like Q&A special or something yeah. like that. Ninja's going to find out and he's going to yeah, ask right. us. And we're going to be like, what the fuck's Monkey Peak? Huh? <laughs> uh, it will turn out that the real monkeys were the co-workers we abandoned and murdered along the way. So, yeah. All right, guys. That's enough of that stupid series. Let's talk about other stupid series. Hooray. Huzzah. My Hero Academia, chapter number 329. In the nick of time, a big-time maverick from the West. Which doesn't seem so much like a chapter title as like a next time on, you know, this show tagline. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it reminded me of like the old uh, like Pokemon intros mm -hmm. or shit like that, where they're just like really long for some reason. <laughs> and it, they always would force in a really, really bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> Kangas can't let this happen. Ooh, what a good one, Nick, for the season. What a ghastly affair. That's too good of a pun for them. Yeah, I think It'd they be, actually did do that. One. It might be, yeah. It'll be like, uh, between, oh, gang, like, Gengar pressed into the military or something like that. And you're like, oh, man, this is a dark episode. What's going on? Oh, we begin our chapter proper with all for one looking all dapper on his weird throne, which has a breathing apparatus uh, hooked up into it, addressing um, apparently just Spinner, it looks like. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the time, Nick, we've been waiting for it for years. It's time for Spinner to get his time in the spotlight. 
I mean, he did mention that it, it was probably going to happen eventually. Yeah. So, yeah. So he is talking with Spinner and just kind of like talking about, hey, you know, this is how things are. And the crucial moment for us is coming up. And uh, we have been playing a game of hide and seek on this small island nation. And we have won. And I love Spinner's just like clearly gotten so comfortable around, you know, the most powerful villain in the world. They just it's like whatever. You're just saying a bunch of stupid bullshit because <laughs> he replies with, I mean, we could have also won by leaving the country. <laughs> we didn't have, didn't to, have to do all this. But uh, Offer One says, ah, but you see, winning this little match was the short-term objective and obtaining one for all is the mid-game goal. I've planned ahead for a long life, and within those plans, this very moment presents me with both the greatest obstacle and the ultimate opportunity. Because I have friends in low places, in many different low places, all Might may have eradicated organized crime in Japan, but other nations are a different story. And once those friends of mine start stirring up trouble, all the countries will have to weigh their own priorities against the needs of others. Okay. All right. Keep going. I'm, I'm in. Does so, this connect to the massive new character we saw last week? Yes. Yay. Yeah, It'd be weird that, if it didn't. Said obstacle and opportunity is Star and Stripe. Uh, and everyone kind of bigs her up for a little bit, just like gives her a little bit of a, you know, like a, this is like the first thing you need to know about this wrestler kind of introduction. Yeah, you got you to gotta promo them a little bit because it's a new audience. No one ever, not everybody knows who Suzuki is. You got to give them a little mm -hmm. bit of a heads up. That's right. So, uh, she says, rather, he says that she will prove far more than a mere nuisance, but should I manage to steal her quirk, the rest of this war will be just a formality. So, hey, all for one's going to try and steal somebody's quirk. What? That's yeah. that, that thing he but does? But specifically, Star and Stripe's quirk. Uh, we don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. Uh, we don't know a lot about her, but now suddenly she's a gigantic target. So, all for one that goes on to say that, hey, you know, unlike everyone else in the in the League of Villains, you've just kind of been guarding me. But it is time for you to take action as well. In the days to come, you will support Shigaraki in his crusade and do justice to your name as one who spins this tale. I, I like to think that he was in his room earlier being like, oh, no, not in his room earlier. He's had months to think of that. <laughs> he waited until today, though. He's just like, I gotta have something for this big speech. But big speech for Spinner, 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 Spins, Spins, Spins a tail. I have it. And he walks out. He's like, you, who spins the tail? He's like, it was my name. I gave it to my, like, <laughs> do you think, like, this? it's like that scene in Pokemon where they're like, the world will turn to ash. And like, like, Everyone has to be like, oh, it doesn't mean the world's going to die. It means we're all going to have to turn to Ash as our hero. And he's like, that can't possibly be. What, it, what a It's that specific. Like, my name has apparently meant everything very symbolically been determined before all this. Like, yes. 
Oh, I'm sure that Sway talked about what the original line for that was when he talked about that movie, because he would always talk about like the differences for the adaptation, because like that's not his Japanese name. No. So they would have had to make that up for the dub of the movie. <laughs> and he will catch them. <laughs> yeah, he'll catch them all. And he's like, hey, did you guys ever notice my name kind of sounds a lot like the tagline for the series? <laughs> oh, boy. But uh, all for one is like, you know, you're you're kind of a lizard guy. So <laughs> Look at you. You're like a big freak. The other freaks will follow us too now. That's basically what he says. Look, I got a sign that has the big old Freako on it. And all the Freakos talk about how much they love Freak Guy. That's you, and, Spinner. Yeah. The, spin, the one who spinnerers tails. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, apparently that works. They like put up some posters that say Spinner, our voice. And, you know, some of the surviving members of the Paranormal Liberation Front are like, oh, look at that freak who's like us freaks. Ah, rally. Yeah. So that happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, we see that this is kind of at work in different areas that like some of the people who are working under Spinner very briefly while there was a Paranormal Liberation <laughs> Front are like, yeah, the liberation's at hand. Yeah. Uh, I, what I love is that they have to show it because there was not a fucking soul on the planet who was like, who would have seen that panel and be like, those were the two generals who worked underneath Spinner all that time ago. Like, those were Spinner's henchmen. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is the terror doing here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Skeptic is also, you know, doing net media stuff to get, uh, people talking as well. Uh, and he basically spreads the word that like, Hey, remember what Redestro saw that the league of villains was where our hopes lay. So everyone muster to them. It doesn't make difference whether or not they are true liberators destined to accept this mission and burden. You must hold them sacred and endow them with divinity. And there's an odd visual that happens where it looks like Spinner becomes more Stain-like in a split-screen thing. I don't know exactly what's going on there, if he actually changed or what. I mean, he was one of the people who said Stain was his mentor, so I think it's a way to reflect that he's becoming more like the person he set out originally all this for. I believe that is possible. It's just... One of those things that's like, it's a little bit weird to just kind of just see it with no explanation beyond just what it looks like. Uh, and so, hey, their plan is to sow the seeds of the future once Shigaraki has, you know, destroyed everything. Which, you know, would probably mean the people who want to sow the seeds of the future. But, you know, let's not worry <laughs> about that. So, uh, Meanwhile, Hawks is cribbing ride in best genius car. They're riding around. And uh, Hawks is like, you know, it's going to be great to have Star and Stripe on our side, but uh, is she going to be in trouble because she's, you know, here without American permission or whatever? Uh, but Best Genius says, her nature may prove our salvation for quite some time now. I've wanted to chat with her about that treasured vintage denim from the gold rush. Oh, well, I really want Hawks just be like, all right, buddy, calm down. <laughs> What's going on here, dude? Look, I can't, like, we can't be in, like, a big climactic battle, you know, fucking Shigaraki's like, I will destroy the hero world. They're like, not with some acid-washed jeans you won't. And everyone's gonna be like, he's not wearing jeans. 
what are you talking about? And you just said to your stupid gimmick. I'm just saying, man, lay up. Not everything has to be a fucking gene pun, all right? There's not that many. Are you telling me I should zip it? <laughs> I wish you had just killed. I, I wish I had actually killed you that time. <laughs> I wish I had just fucking ended you. Oh, God. Uh, so they're heading out to meet with with uh, Star and Stripe, but it turns out that Shigaraki, or All for One, or whoever you want to call him right now, has gotten there first, and All for One... Shigaraki is riding in the back of a flying high-end Nomu to meet Star and Stripe on her fleet of stealth bomber jet things. And uh, so they exchange, you know, pleasantries. Uh, and Star and Stripe says, are you the villain they call all for one? To which Shigaraki's body says, good question. What exactly am I? <laughs> huh? I also like, I, I, someone pointed out the like, so both of the planes are still moving, right? So, like, the implication should be that they're, like, colliding or that the Nomu is flying backwards as fast at the, as the planes so they can have this conversation before these things just collide. Yeah. And I'm considering that they are way high up in the sky and there's, you know, a jet under Star and Stripe and, you know, the wind is howling around them. They've got very good hearing that they can actually hear each other. Yeah, well, maybe that's part of her quirk. Maybe that's why uh, All For One wants it. He's like, ah, with this, I'll be able to hear all of my favorite songs from across the room without having to put in headphones. Truly, this is the best quirk. Listen, I just can't make world-dominating plans in the same way if I can't have my tunes without having earbuds in my ears. They're yeah. very distracting. Uh, so there's some there's some concern, at least I know in our Discord about this chapter, uh, because it sets up right. the obvious thing of well now Star and Stripe is a, a target. There's okay. a lot of people who are like I don't want her to just be set up to then be killed off or to be beaten essentially, uh, and kind of fall in the line of exceptional female characters in a series who were told are awesome and then immediately do not prove that to be the case. Hmm. I understand that. I'm not quite on that boat yet. I think it's at least somewhat interesting to explain, okay, this is why she's in the story is because all for one wants her quirk and it's presumably very powerful um, so I'm not quite in that level yet. I'm also excited, I guess, for Spitter to get some focus, but honestly, that's pretty much it where it comes with lots for this chapter. Yeah, that's, I think that that's the most interesting thing to come out of this. I still haven't, re I mean, like, the only thing we really know about Star and Stripe is reputation and design thus far. And so neither of those have really grabbed me. Uh, it's kind of a very generic reputation and uh, not really biting on her design. It doesn't appeal to me. I think that the eyes and mask look weird. Uh, so. But Nick. But how you. how does a monster like his coffee? Uh, with scream and sugar. Ooh. Hold on, wait. Uh, ooh. 
Gotcha. I would have also accepted Bulak. <laughs> so much lamer. <laughs> I'm not very happy right now. <laughs> All right, let's go on and talk about Undead Unlock Chapter 82. Uh, where is it? Take a look. It's in a book. It's reading Rainbow. So last time Billy ripped off the front part of his skin <laughs> and uh, managed to avoid uh, unchanged. So he brings it up here. Let's bring in some change, Billy. Billy says, change what? And he says, ain't it obvious what you've seen through those rotten eyes of yours? Uh, and he says, the potential that negators hold. And then Andy explodes with blood. And he's, yeah. And Billy's like, ah, he's using that basically as a smoke screen so that I can't block him with unmove. So Andy escapes, he says. Very gross. Yeah, it's, it's well, it doesn't get nicer. And he notes, all right, now that I know he uses Unchange, I, I can't make another mistake. He steals the mobility with Unbalance. He stops attacks. With, he attacks with Unstoppable. He eliminates the drawback with Undead, locks you down with Unmove, and then captures you with Unchange. I have the way he's doing it. Which is why now I'm going to negate you. And as he says that, he discards more of his skin. He just starts ripping it off. And he says, negation abilities get stronger as your minds develop. They get thrust on you with crappy mistakes. And you get stronger as you confront your past and present. And that's something you don't understand. And we cut over to Billy as Andy's continuing to note, like, I'll show you the potential negator. What the, the potential negators hold is all about. And a big bloody version of Andy comes at uh, Billy and he's like, oh, well, that's not going to do anything. Your attacks aren't going to unreach me and I'll stop you with unmove. The game is over. Uh, uh, wait a minute. You were just a wait big a body second. made out of blood. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't right. <laughs> and yeah, uh, Billy made or Andy has made a clone of blood and uh, another Andy strikes at Billy from behind. He's like, wait, you made clones? And Andy replies, yeah, ain't no biggie. I tear off all my skin and form a coat of blood. Once that gets untargeted by Unmove, I shed the coat and circle behind you. Dead Shadow, they're just life-size scabs. Which is awesome and horrifying. It also must hurt like fuck. Yes. Well, just Constantly ripping your skin off. I think... Everything with undead is is hurts a lot, but Andy's just so used to it at this point. He's just like radical. I'm trying to think of all the times that I've picked at a scab and it's gone wrong and started peeling, and just imagining that going across my entire body. Yeah, like doing it the entire arm, essentially. Uh, so Andy, you know, it's like, hey, this is actually just a distraction. What I'm really after, and he does a, a big blood geyser attack, dead road. And pushes uh, Billy into the river. And Billy has his air hole that he's using with a, a shield of unchange around him. And he's like, crap, if this happens, I'm just going to suffocate once this actual unchanged bubble gets filled. I'll, I'll suffocate. So yeah, he deactivates it, which gives Billy the opportunity, or Andy the opportunity to dash in and jam his finger into Billy's head. And he's he just notes... All right, well, I got you. You should have kept Unchained active and fought underground while choking. That's what I would have done being undead. But you regenerate slower than me, and damage to your brain becomes a fatal flaw. So I kind of have you on the rope there. 
So he's, he adds in, like, you know, negation powers can only be used to their max potential by their ability users because the time and experiences we experience add to the interpretation of the power and actually make it stronger. So that's why none of your abilities are ever going to be as strong as what we can do because you don't have the experiences that we had with all these abilities. Uh, and Billy is able to be like, I get what you mean, but not all negators are strong as you. Some lose heart, some die, some take their lives. Ability users will always suffer in proportion to the greatness of their ability. And there's no need for them to struggle. All weak negators need to do is live and keep being used by me. The only one who should face God are the strong. And uh, I believe Ninja noted in our Discord that at this moment you can see Billy's face is becoming more and more corrupted by spoil. So, nice little note there. Uh, Andy thinks back to when he was like, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of us may not make it back from this mission, but... You know, Union, they're going to or under they're going to be trying to strategize as well. So he says, yeah, you know what? I agree. But guess what? All of us, we are strong. And if, I th if you think I'm lying, just look with your eyes. The cherry trees are wilting or no, it's more like they're collecting at the top of the tower. So everything's concentrating. And Andy just says, cool, I've served my purpose. And he pops his own head off his body and says, all right, hurry up and wrap me up with Unchange. Billy's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, what do you mean? I did it. I, I like, I, I did what I needed to here. Now I'm going to be able to, like, I can't change you, but I'm going to be able to show you what will change you. So let's go see with Fuko, because I'm positive she'll be able to change you. We end with a panel of Fuko arriving up where Spring is at the top of the tower. Yeah. You're just kind of chilling there. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I mean, obviously, we could presumably not follow up next chapter with Fuku because I'm like, there's two other fights going on that we like established. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious to see what's going on there. There's always a part of me that worries like, oh, God, Undead Unluck is going to like end the month or something like that. Is it like we're not speeding through this arc? So I'm hoping we still get to see it because I'm actually very curious to see the results of those fights. But, there's, uh, I mean, there's always more apparently that it could be doing because this is a very strange series, but uh, I do understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I do look forward to seeing what the hell exactly is going to happen with Fuku and Spring, especially because I really enjoyed Spring's weird style up to this point. And it was a cool confrontation that uh, Andy ended up having with Billy between this and the last couple of chapters. There was some, you know, nice ridiculousness. And then it, you know, it came down to a, a pretty cool, you know, uh, morality play as opposed to just, you know, killing each other uh, that, you know, you see this kind of thing in Shonen sometimes where it's not the key to defeating the opponent is not to beat them into submission. It's to change them. And uh, it is interesting to see that Andy's approach to that is essentially in this moment to give up what would be a sure victory and surrender because that is how you win the long term battle of getting Billy on your side. Yeah. So and I also really appreciate the continued world building of Undead Unluck where it is a mechanical focus that kind of the more you deal with with your power actually lets you get stronger because you kind of start to change your interpretation of the power as time goes on. Yeah, a very literal 
you you know get stronger by through gear development so yeah pretty cool um nick before we go on oh no why did dracula go to the doctor i don't know dude Just because, because he couldn't stop coughing Blah! <laughs> Did you really just go blah for no blah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. It's Kaiju number eight, chapter 46. Uh, the battle is unfolding, and uh, things are, you know, kind of dire all around everywhere. But then... They receive news that Kaiju number eight has finally emerged because Kafka got a power up through character development. <laughs> um, uh, so Kafka is going to stand off against uh, Kaiju number nine, who now reckon- oh, I was like, oh, you really were Kaiju number eight. Good. I, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, he's, he immediately sends out a uh, communication to some of the corpses of the big ass ants that are lying around and uh, they get back up. And then the ant that Kaiser number nine has merged with starts growing like moth wings kind of. Uh, So it's evolving, you know, like an ant into a wasp, which, you know, they do that. That's how science is. Yeah. So Kikaru starts to tense up and it's like, Oh my God, you know, it's going to get heavy. It has even more powers. It's getting even stronger. But Kafka just puts a hand on her shoulder and says, hey, thanks, Kikoru. You know, I'm still having problems trusting myself, but I know I can 100% trust you guys. And somehow he manages to smile despite the fact that he has no lips. Uh, so very impressive. That's, a, that's actually his power up. He doesn't actually get stronger from anything he's done, but he has learned to smile. Yeah. Uh, Kikoru doesn't let this uh, comment affect her. She's just like, all right, fine. But uh, and then Kafka says, hey, can you take care of the ants while I handle this guy? And Kikaru says, oh, well, fine. You're going to ask me to take care of the weaklings. You better win or I'll kill you, which seems a little redundant, but (laughs) okay. Kafka rushes forward. Kikaru provides covering fire. And shortly enough, Kafka is within striking range of Kaiju number nine. Uh, And uh, he says, you know, you sure took care of me last time, didn't you? But ever since then, I've grown thicker skin, literally, which I don't really think we see thicker skin demonstrated. But whatever, this character's got like a really weird personality. So I will accept the lame pun, I guess. He's Uh, doing his best. It's tough this time of year. Yeah. Okay. Well, Halloween. Yeah. I want to appreciate your puns. Nick, who is the most famous painter of monsters? Is it Vincent Van Gogh? No, it's Vincent Van Ghost. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gone for the copyrighted option. <laughs> That's a D&D monster, I think. We can't use that. <laughs> Uh, Kaiju number nine turns two of the ants' wings into giant ass cannons and says, All right, now I'm gonna kill you. And Kafka is suddenly behind it, holding the kaiju's core in his hand. 
And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. This is the ant's core. It's not Kaiju number nine's core. Oh, well, uh, he. It's a kind of cool moment. It yeah, it just it's, you know, a big, you know, you didn't even see him start to charge. He just appeared on the other side of him with the core in hand. Uh, but then he surmises afterwards, like, you know, from the way I saw Kikaru fighting you, your core must be in the ant as well, which makes sense. She did chop his upper body into little tiny pieces. So. Kaiju number nine fires a bunch of bullets and Kafka kind of uh, deflects them. Uh, and while doing so, he thinks to himself, you know, seeing that monster version of me in action, you know, it made me realize that I haven't been tapping into Kaiju number eight's powers at all. You know, it's pretty ironic. Having it take control of my body taught me how to use my body better than before. And he demonstrates this by growing little jets in his heels that let him spring and dash around really, really quickly. And even as Kaiser number nine thinks that he's got a bead on him, he just launches up into the air and then uses the jets on his heels to launch himself like a cannon downward and goes straight into Kaiser number nine, who blocks the blow with his arms. But that doesn't seem to matter. It, he just kind of push, punches him so hard that it explodes, implodes, I guess, the ant's head behind him and just crushes him into the ground while his entire body is buckling and bursting apart. So, hey, a cool action chapter. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I do have, like, a longer, more elaborate thought, though. Um, mm. Nick, why can't you tell a skeleton a secret? Because it goes in one ear and out the other. Skeletons don't have ears. But they theoretically could, because the skull is empty. <laughs> <laughs> Look! I spend 11 months of the year coming up with these. Then trapped, you should be ashamed. <laughs> trapped in the dormant hell that is the back of the other one's mind. Just trying to write up spooky... Talk about my friend that way. <laughs> trying to come up with spooky jokes for you to appreciate. And you don't get it. Nick, what is a witch's favorite subject? How much did that book cost you? <laughs> Spelling! <laughs> So bad. <laughs> no, a true master wrote this. True master. Okay. Nick, let's gonna... talk about Eden Zero. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Oh my god, I've I've really wanted to talk about this chapter. <laughs> Alright, we got it. This is chapter 163, Wormhole. So last time uh Cheeky's eyes exploded. But as it seems now, it's apparently just one. Um, and we don't really get more clarification as to what happened. It just one of his eyes is definitely. Yeah, damaged. Well, we get we get plenty of clarification from Shiki. You know, he, he see he goes. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> he goes. Ah, and then gets punched a lot. And uh, then he punches Shura back and Shura launches a bunch of. I guess stones with gravity 
and hits him and then makes a rock out of gravity and stabs Shiki and is like, don't you get it? This is what it means to suck. You suck. And Shiki's like, oh, it hurts. And then we cut over to Rebecca and Rebecca has made it to the all link. And she's like, well, time to save everything. But then a bunch of random enemies show up. So Rebecca uses her cat leaper stuff to just move really fast and shoot a bunch of people. Uh, but then they start exploding into blood. And she's yeah. like, wait, what's happening? And Pino's like, I'm detecting an abnormal gravitational field. And Shura shows up. And he's just been doing that. He could just do that, I guess. He can just murder you. He can turn you into a pool of blood with his gravity immediately. And he doesn't want to, because he's like, hey, you made it all this way, so, you know, you could sit here and watch as I activate this. And he also does, like, because Rebecca's like, where's Shiki? And he's like, he's dead. Ah! And it knocks him down with some gravity, and he's like, watch as I destroy everything. He activates the all-link, and he says, now every single planet is connected, and first I'm going to blow up the temple. I win. And a little TV pops up that's like, you win? Surely you jest, my son. And it's Poseidon Nero. And he says, The word victory exists only for me. There is no victory for you. Sure is like, but I thought Ziggy attacked you at the temple. <laughs> and Nero says, what, this Ziggy? And he holds up a broken robot head. And he's like, and as the bull of robots is, if you destroy the head, you destroy the rest of it. Someone in the corner, like fucking Bob Lucci, is like, that's zombies. Robots don't have that weakness at all. He's like, no, no, I destroyed the head, which means the rest of the body is donezo. Uh, so Shura's like, holy shit, you beat Ziggy? Oh, well, what does that mean? You know? And Nero's just like, yeah, your bombs? I'm teleporting them to you, shithead. I used with, my ether with, gear. With what? With what, Chris? I used my ether gear wormhole to transport them all over to Nero 66. Sure. It's like, Oh, Oh, what? No, you gotta be bluffy. I've never heard about, heard about you having an ether gear. I just assumed your stupid dice were the ether gear. And he's like, did you truly believe I would reveal my hand to you? And sure. It's like, but it's 20,000 bombs. You could just move them to a whole other planet. He's like, Oh, if that's what you think, then why don't you hit the switch? Huh? Why don't you hit the switch? Check in. And Shura's like, you know what? Fine. I am going to do this. I'm the winner. Now die. He goes to activate it. But then Shiki shows up and punches Shura in the back of the head. And his one oh, eye. I was so sure you were dead. Yeah. His, his one eye is all bloody. So he's like, our fight isn't over yet. And Nero's like, who the hell is that? And Ziggy replies, He's my boy, in a manner of speaking, and punches Nero through the chest, basically. Punches his hand straight through it, and he says, Our fight hasn't finished yet, Nero. Okay, so... <laughs> so, let's recap. So, Shura beats the shit out of Shiki, and shows up before Rebecca can stop the all-link virus thing, and goes... I killed Shiki. And then Shiki just shows up later and punches him some more. 
There was no indication at all from the last that we saw of that scene that he had struck the final blow. He just kind of went slump, and then we went away. Yeah, he gets stabbed by a spear, and then is like, ah, it hurts, and kind of slumps. And then, yeah, we cut over, and Shura has deactivated his overdrive so he could be menacing. And then, then he has the big turnabout. Oh, how the turntables turn, Nick. Because Poseidon has a wormhole ether gear, presumably, that he could use to just teleport everything everywhere, which sort of seems like it would make his dice like like he wouldn't need to use them so much if he could just do that. But no, no. See, you want to use the thing that ensures a Pyrrhic victory every time over the overpowered ability that can guarantee you victory a lot of times, presumably without costing you anything. Now, Nick, look, could... Poseidon Nero potentially just teleport grenades inside of his opponent's stomachs and then explode them. Yes. Or is that as fun? Inside their buttholes. Yes. Inside their buttholes. Inside their buttholes as well. Maybe that's it's a family tradition. Or he could roll his dice and say, hmm, looks like this is going to be a tough fight. I suppose I will lose my wife today. <laughs> and well, then. I guess you'll get the bomb up your butt, honey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We all knew what happened. Narrow family tradition. We all die with a bomb up the butt. My poppy died with a bomb up his butt. His poppy died with a bomb up his butt. I'm going to die with a bomb up my butt one day. It happens That's to the us one all. thing I can't wormhole away. You yeah. know. <laughs> can't wormhole a hole, honey. Doesn't make sense. Just try and think about that. So then he has the honestly kind of cool moment where he's just like oh you mean this and he's just holding up Ziggy's fucking smoking half broken head <laughs> but then yeah it turns out that Ziggy's alive and because oh, of course he is he's a robot I don't like it's like, supposed to be a thing like I've defeated this robot and it's like but it's a robot if it's eyes aren't glowing doesn't mean it stopped working right like did you because clearly the rest of the body was all in one piece. He's like, I've taken off the head, and thus the monster is killed. There were like three or four different potential chapter-ending cliffhangers that were just breezed by in this chapter. There was Shiki seemingly losing his battle with Shura. There was, oh no, Shura has shown up and is going to kill Rebecca and says that he's, ki that he's killed Shiki. There was Nero interrupting him on the screen and saying he's going to teleport the bombs over. And then there, and there's the whole thing with him holding up Ziggy's head and Ziggy stabbing. There are so many points that could just end a chapter really dramatically. He says, no, keep going, go, go, go. All of them, all of them in one. Um, honestly, at this point, the big thing I'm just waiting for is Okay, so is this the part where Rebecca's last ditch thing activates and goes back in time to save the people who died, or you know, or are we just actually going to stick with the consequences of this arc? Because, I mean, Shiki didn't have a busted up eye in that all in that dark future we saw, so presumably it's going to be fine. But is it just that he he only half? crushed it in his skull and it's actually fine or what so or can't they just fix it and give him like a regular like you have a machine that magically removes people's trauma can't you just give him a robot eye that funk that in no way 
physically looks different from a regular eye, but it'll just give him cool robot eye upgrades, I presume. I don't know. We saw Rebecca's legs in that future, so. That is true. And they were still hot, but not <laughs> as hot as they usually are, you know? Um, The point that I'm trying to make there is that even when a lot of seemingly really dire consequential stuff is happening, all it makes me go is, okay, so is this actually going to stick around or is it just going to get undone through the time jumping ability? So. All right. That's all I have to say about that. But all right. It was, it was a lot that happened. Nick. Knock, knock. It's there. Dozen. Dozen who? Doesn't anyone ever open their door on Halloween anymore? Supposed to fucking say trick or treat if you want me to do that. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, hang on. Knock, knock. No. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Weed. Sweet, I'll take some. Okay, joke done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> A hunter's Guild, Red Hood. Let's do it. Chapter number 14. The 42nd final deparkation exam. Last time, Bonkers, the great hero. <laughs> Big Joe Bonkers, the great hero, reached out to Tilty to try and convince him that they could work together and get everyone to pass. However, at that moment, Milty realizes, oh no, our trap for Debonair as some sort of string attached to a lever pulls the lever and drops Debonair and a few other people into the charcoal in a giant pit trap that they somehow set up. I don't know. So. Yeah, they got it. They got it. Um, Portion says to Tilty as they're, you know, making sure that not everyone falls into the charcoal, like, hey, you know, you don't actually have to, like, just trust us completely uh, with all your heart and soul. Because, you know what? I'm just using the, you guys for my benefit. Which Bonkers is like, what? Bonkers <laughs> like, just says, you know, very pragmatically, like, yeah, I mean, look, if you can't make yourself trust us, you don't really have to trust us. You can betray us if you really want to. But with the way that this exam is structured, that's not going to play to your advantage. You know? It's, it's very, very she's just being blunt. Yeah, she's like, hey, exactly. you can betray me, but this isn't really the exam to do that in. Yeah. Uh, and then Bonkers is like, stop making good points. So my point is, we aren't your enemies, and you should trust us to be around. Uh, we then cut up to Velo in the jail with a, a number of people who says, man, all you guys are so great. Like you, Nulo and Miguel, who have barely been <laughs> involved in the, on all this and getting character development at all. But also, Bonkers is super strong and Portion is nimble and Mario can use slimes. But me, I don't have anything at all. But don't worry, little Velo. The guard who's been watching all this and just kind of, you know, listening on your conversation says, Hey, you're the eye of the storm. Your plan slowly but surely drew everyone in, growing into a whirlwind so big it's fit to swallow all of the ironworks now. Please don't do that. I sleep here at night. Anyway, you coordinated all this. There's value in that. Blah, blah, blah. Velo says, Why are you trying to sweet talk me into something? He's like, Ah. If there had been someone like you around when I took my exam, maybe, dot, dot, dot. Anyway, we don't have time for that. 
you're like the 20th most important character in this series, and there are other people ahead of you who are not getting any character development before the before the series is canceled, presumably. Milty tries to make an appeal to her brother Tilty, uh, and then Tilty says, "Where is Velo?" And Bonker says, "He's been arrested, but we're gonna plan and rescue him." And Tilty's like, "Oh, rescue him? How are you gonna do that?" And Bonker's like, I don't know, throw a bunch of people at the situation. I've got to try and get, you know, everyone on board to do it and work. And Tilty says, well, I'm not going to go along with that. Uh, there's only five minutes left then for the rest of the exam. And things are looking kind of bad. And especially when Bonker shows up and he's been cuffed. Oh, no. But as he's being led forward, wait a minute. That's not a guard. That's portion clearly standing on top of somebody's shoulders because she is not that tall. Yeah, that is true. Uh, uh, so they're like, wait a minute, why is Portion the guard? They've swapped roles, but wait, this means they didn't come across either cop on the way here, and I don't see the cops up here anywhere. So if they could just tag us, but then, oh no, Grim was lying in wait the whole time. As it turns out, Bonkers is pretending he's been cuffed, but she jumps from a, a perch and says, you know, if you were to give in to sentimentality and try a rescue, the most efficient time is right before the exam ends. So here it is. And hey, the the, the coat around portion comes off and it turns out Milty was under the coat and that was why that they were taller than before. Hey! Well, I mean, there's, there's stuff that could have definitely been done. I think you probably would have been a lot better off had you know you drawn the crane before it became an environmentally relevant piece of detail for the area like the crane about. shows up in the panel where it's shot you're talking about the crane's always been there next to the white <laughs> abyss that defines the rest of this ship well that's what the crane's pulling things out of things fall into the white abyss you pull them out then oh my god there's an entire like creepy story in that a crane that pulls things out of the white abyss <laughs> anyway milty shoots the crane for some reason grim briefly is like why'd she shoot the crane is it a trap oh no wait no it wasn't it was a signal for the ambusher who's lying in wait and it turns out that ambusher is tilty and we get a flashback to explain that tilty really did say that he was gonna go along with them but he was going to insist that there be a plan. And he's like, I will only act before time's up in the last five minutes. And so he thinks to himself, once doubt worms its way in, it's not e not that easy to dig back out. But if I can change something, if I could become a hunter along with the rest of this crew. And so he decides to. If I can change, and you can change, we can all change. And then the Russians so, stand up and the Cold War is ended, Nick. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so he decides that he's going to be the one to tag everyone and free them. And so he is rushing in towards the jail cell. But, oh, my God, Debonair bursts out of the wall. And she's like, oh, my God, it took me forever to wade through all that coal. Uh, and she came up through the smokestack. And she starts fighting with with Bonkers. But Bonkers uh, counters her by attacking her with the handcuffs, question mark. And he goes, I ain't afraid of the heat anymore. And um, there's a great reaction to this by Debonair because she's just like, eh? I mean, all right. <laughs> Good for you. I'm proud of you, I guess. It's probably the most sensical line in this entire chapter, honestly. All right. Good, good. <laughs> you, you go, girl, I guess. I, I don't know what that... Tilty tags everyone. And Vela says, I knew you'd come. I had faith in you. And Tilty's like, yeah, thanks. Uh, 
And uh, Grim is bearing down on them. All the people who have been freeing the cell tag everyone else in the cell to free everyone else. And they are rushing out of the jail. Uh, and now that there's a lot, 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 lot more of them, they try and overwhelm Grimm and Debonair and grab their cuffs. And we get this big kind of two-page splash slash montage of everyone trying to fight and using all their abilities at once while they're, the final 10 seconds count down. And eventually there is a big explosion. And when the smoke clears, the exam is over. The last of Grimm's cuffs have been snatched away. And the number of robbers left arrested is zero. And so all participants have passed the debarkation exam and everyone dives into this big pile. Everyone's kind of mobbing Velo, who came up with this plan to save everyone. And Debonair in the background is happy for her students, too. She's going, bee! Yeah, and, you know, maybe someone would uh, appreciate if afterwards Debonair was like, Grim, it looks like you have a little bit longer in your, uh, you know, your, your big form. Maybe we should blow off some steam from losing this fight, and then a fan fiction could follow that. I'm just throwing out ideas in case people are listening. They want, you know, they need ideas. Because, look, there's not a lot of fan fiction that's going to be written for this series, Nick. World trigger to my hood and backdoor. <laughs> uh, world, tr- world guild hunter to the red and the hood. <laughs> no, 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 what any of I don't know what World. I don't want to know what any of those are on Tondra's. Actually, it's going to be world, uh, world trigger to my heart and bonkers, <laughs> <laughs> to bonkers and back, <laughs> the Red Hood fantasies. Bonkers and back again, a Red Hood smut. <laughs> oh, um. Now I was kind of dismissive throughout my recap of this chapter, but honestly, this was probably my favorite chapter of this series so far. It's kind of cool. I like the feeling that kind of gets stirred up and like the chaos that's unfolding as things get more and more optimistic at the end after they've gotten everyone to work together. And I really do legitimately like that everyone's just happy at the end and it's mobbing Velo, including at least three characters I'm pretty sure we have not seen before, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I still kind of like it. I, I, I kind of mentioned last week, I'm at this point where I feel like Red Hood's not going to run for a ton of time longer. So like the idea of all these characters be like, we made it. And a couple of them who are like, I, I don't even know if we like the girl with the horns. I yeah, don't know if she, we know her, the guy with she the really Ushanka. stands out, uh, in this because everyone else is kind of like too close to Velo to actually your eyes to be drawn to them. She's just off enough by herself that she, your eyes just drawn straight to her. Yeah. It's really weird. So it's like a bunch of characters. I don't really know. I think that I can't tell if the person next to her is, it's not Milty. So I don't know who that is. It's another, like, it's just like, Oh, all my friends. And I'm like, I guess we'll hopefully see these characters in the future. That's Nulo. Oh, I said, Oh, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Is that the that's a martial arts person or the one that you the, the one with the Asian mystic, mystic yeah. repelling ability stuff. Yes. There you go. All right. Let's talk about Magu-chan. Also, come to think that there are a lot of characters that actually have gotten background who are drawn in such a way that their faces don't need to be drawn. Yeah. Well, Big Joe Bonkers is technically there as well as like 
the money guy. And yeah. I, you realize like, and, oh, just because you're seeing the back of their heads. But Portion's face is hidden behind Velo's arm and stuff. So it's weird. All right. Yeah, let's talk about Magachan. Chapter 62, a thrilling sports festival of chaos. Hey, it's a sports festival chapter, which happens in pretty much any manga that's going to be set in a high school or junior high setting like this is and there is a sports festival and the chaos gods decide to participate because a lot of jokes about this are made the end <laughs> yeah pretty much um you know it's ironic we're kind of it seems like we're just going to skip over this one for the most part I, mean, uh, I could go through it. No, just, no, that's I that's, legitimately was not very into this. And <laughs> it's weird. I, that seems to be a common opinion amongst our Discord people. I thought this was one of the only times there's been like a pure comedy chapter that I was like, oh, this is kind of funny and has a couple. Like, I do really like that uh, at the end of it, Magu is about to have his headband ripped off. And he's like, whoever said that I was the captain and Zonzage is underneath. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, Zonzage is the captain and Prixizuma. So they win. And like Uneris is in the chapter and doesn't do anything stupid or annoying. I mean, True. she is kind of annoying, but just in like a general, she exists kind of way with her big dumb face. So I don't know. I thought it was an all right chapter. I did enjoy the part where at the end, Ruru is really happy for her friends and the fact that they all worked together instead of, you know, being cheating assholes like they had been for the entire rest of it. And so they're with the teamwork. They had a good time and they won. But then she's like, OK, and now to shame you all and ties them all up and hangs them up in the way that she does. So, you know, yeah, the very rapid changeover. But honestly, I really didn't like a lot of the just oh they're cheating jokes that happen it just kind of seemed like that thing that series do sometimes where it's like okay here's a situation and here's the thing that the character is well known for doing being used comedically and sometimes i like that and a lot of times i don't like the whole thing where it's like hey remember how magu can use morphalactics well he's using them to cheat didn't really care for that yeah i could understand it they also like you know my boy, my boy is supposed to get like his one big moment and then Azuma shows up and keeps from reviewing getting that. So made me sad. Yeah. Won't let him have, won't let him have his bread. Yeah. Just wants to eat all the bread. All right, Nick, let's move on. Oh, wait, hold on. Wait, no, we can't go on yet. Uh, that was a, That's like a back and forth. How are we even supposed to do it? Nick, why was the witch late for school? Because I don't know. Her broom overswept. Okay. Hold, hold on, this page has cobwebs all over it, so it must be full of the good jokes. <laughs> Is that what that means? I presume. Is that the only page that has cobwebs on it? No, there's another one. Okay. So these are the good ones. What do you call a black cat that has eight legs and likes to swim? This is not really a joke. Uh, 
water spider, I guess. An octopus. Okay. <laughs> um. Look, I. Look, I. I skipped over a chapter of Magu because I didn't like the jokes in it. What are you doing to me? Like, stop it. Mick! Dr. Stone! What is the monster's favorite dinner dish? Mashed potatoes. No, we did that one already. Fettuccine Alfredo! <laughs> okay, I'm done. Dr. Stone. Zeke's turn 13. Unknown known. So there are unknown unknowns and unknown knowns and known unknowns and known knowns. Cool. Actually, you can't have an unknown known. Anyway, so they have a dam and a hydroelectric plant and they're using that to generate power and stuff. They're freeing people, including one girl who's got very unique hair and I don't know if we're supposed to recognize her or not. She looks like a girl again. She has a very unique design to the point I was like, is she supposed to be a relative? Like her design is unique enough. I'm not, I, I'm almost expect her to be a regular cast member, like for yeah. them to be like, Oh, she was an astronaut or some shit like that. Like, uh, they, so they revive some more people and kind of, just, we get a very, very rapid and they explained the situation to them. Kind of a couple of panels going on. And then they say that they need to have a way to really get people like on their sides and also to entertain them and stuff. So Risu says that he desires entertainment media. And Sai says, you know what? I totally get that. You know, when without enjoyable diversions, life is really hard. And, uh, you know, when I was drowning in math in the past, video games were what kept me going. And Risu's like, yeah. And also he who controls the media effectively owns the world, <laughs> which... It could be a clue that Ryusui is actually the final villain of this series because that's a little too real. Ryusui's always been this playful level of capitalism that you're like, yeah, I kind of hope you do get stuck on the moon at the end of this. <laughs> uh, so Senku and Kaseki whip up a TV. Okay. Uh, with the justification that, I mean, we already had all of the tubes made to, you know, properly, you know, create a TV imaging uh, on this. And Yo says, oh, cool. How many channels does it get? And there's a weird, weird beat. And then Senka says, oh, yeah, we've got nobody broadcasting right now. So all of the modern people are disappointed by this. Uh, but then Senka says, yeah, well, our plan is not actually to watch TV on this. It's for other stuff. See, We've got a boat scheduled to arrive today from North America to Japan, and it's a delivery you've been dying for, Sai. And it's this huge-ass computer that the, that the American team have been working on. Uh, Taidu arrives along with it, presumably having hooked up some pedals to the paddles on the boat and just using his own leg power to get himself there. Because I don't think we see anyone else who was on the ship. So anyway, yeah. they deliver. He delivers the computer, and uh, so they says like, "Oh yeah, we made like you know ten thousand wire donuts and a few hundred thousand magnets." 
Uh, and Senku says, yeah, altogether, this will make a 16-bit, 60 kilohertz CPU as the brain. And for memory, we have an I we've got all these different ROM and RAM units. And Gen's like, I don't know what that means. But Sai says, in terms of computing power, it is on par with the NES. Of course, because they're, you know, using pretty rudimentary technology to make all this stuff, the computer is the size of a very large room. Uh, so they need to dedicate a huge space to it the same way that, you know, a lot of old computers had to be. But, uh, uh, the, and they have uh, punch cards that they can use in order to feed programming. And Sai immediately whips them up because he is a crazy programmer like that. And he makes um, Tetris. I mean, it's not called Tetris, but it is Tetris. He makes, yeah, he makes Tetris. Tetris. Uh, and he whips out a few others as well, including one that is very clearly Pac-Man. Uh, some stuff that looks like, you know, kind of rail shooter, uh, printed rail shooter games. And people are you know, very, very entertained by these you know, absurd new things in their world. They also have chess, and we actually get to see Sai and Ryusui playing chess. Uh, but there's a chess AI that Ryusui is playing against. Uh, so I guess Sai was just sitting there while his brother played and was programming, but they're still spending time together, which is nice. Yeah. And so, of course, because Ryusui is playing against the computer... They have a talk about Deep Blue, the chess com playing computer program. And they talk about how there was a very famous match that took place between the human chess champion. Kasparov. I hope I said that right. Uh, uh, I think it was pretty close. And uh, essentially what they say is that it seemed as though Kasparov had control of this one match that they were playing, but... And instead of making the anticipated move, Deep Blue thought for a really long time and made a different move that looked foolish at first, but it turned out because no one else had seen it, it was the winning move. And Sai explains that, you know, in that moment, computer programming surpassed the human mind and science gave rise to an unknown. And Ryusui agrees, saying that unreasonable, that unknowable entity that best humanity wanted to know all. It desired all. In a way, science is the great, is the greediest thing there ever was or will be. Think about what Y Man brought about as well: the petrification devices, that forbidden power. Now, knowing how the spinoff of Doctor Stone unfolded, I still really hope that this isn't leading to and the AI that Senku's dad made is the one that caused the petrification of humanity. Because if that's the case, then I really don't want don't like that it was set up in a spin-off manga that that's the final twist of the series it would be extremely annoying but it would not blow my mind if that that ends up being what happens yeah. uh so they decide to take some precautions for the medusa device that they have by making a big old vacuum tube to put it in senku saying yeah it'll stop working if it deteriorates this will protect it from the elements uh and they store it away in a big old vault and as they're leaving it behind yo says hey couldn't we shout at that thing and make it activate? And Gen says, no. And then the, the device rattles and activates, and Gen and Yo are horrified, and they're like, did we cause it? No. The thing is ticking and clicking, and they're like, what the hell? Nobody said anything to do it. What's going on? And the petrification device goes off, and there is honestly a very, very, very grotesque 
scene that happens as uh, Gen and Yo are petrified. Gen in a standing position, but Yo is tumbling over, and because he's tumbling, his body is breaking apart, including parts of his face coming off and exposing like the jaw underneath it. It's pretty gross. So. Yeah, his head completely pops off his body. It's it's pretty mm-hmm. crazy, and his hand's broken. Uh, rough times. So, that escalated quickly. Uh, this chapter is insanely forgettable until the last two pages when you're like, oh, okay. Because the rest of the chapter could just be, they get the computer, they make video games, Sai shows a bunch of video games off. They have fun. And then at the end, two characters may be dead forever. You're just like, it's like one of these things. I'm like, what What the fuck? These things escalated so quickly. I think that when I was first reading this, I was kind of flipping through it. And I think that because sometimes the web browser version of Viz's Shonen Jump Reader uh, won't load a couple of pages when you first click to them. And so mm-hmm. one way, one thing that I do is I'll kind of flip back and forth in order to get it to load. And I think I flipped forward past the two pages where they explained that the device is being stored and is going off. And so I just saw the shot of Yo and Gen turning to stone and Yo crumbling apart. And I was just, what, what, what happened? Hey, no, <laughs> no. So I guess we'll see what the hell happened next time. Maybe it is some sort of failsafe that is being put in place for the petrification device that will go off if it's under certain environmental conditions. Or maybe uh, Y-Man has some form of setting them off that they aren't aware of just yet. Yeah, I think uh, something, definitely some big reveal is about to happen, but we will, I guess, have to wait and see what it is. Yes. All right, Nick, let's cut over to Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter 81, Mash Burn Dead, and the Excellent Friends. Aww, sounds so, like a lovely chapter. Yeah, we open with a newspaper being handed about Extra Extra, and it's the details about how Mash, the prestigious Academy nominee, has no magic. So, uh-oh, there's a big turmoil. So we cut back to uh, Mash, Dot, and Abyss. And I do like that Lord Ab- or Lord Abel and uh, Lance got out of the game, but the three idiots are still playing BS for 15 hours. And they're like, we're going to keep playing. The Dignity's riding on this game. Dot shouts it out like, our Dignity's riding on this. And Mash and Abyss are like, I'm tired now. I'm going to quit. Like, yeah, I'm tired too. <laughs> That's just it. Um, but then there's a big mob outside who are like, give us mash. What do you mean? No magic. Boo. (coughs) (coughs) And uh, it's looking real bad. And they're just shouting. They're like, you can't give someone blighted blood a platform at God's holy festival. That's sacrilegious. And lemon of all characters, hey, stands up on the couch. Yeah, it is. I, it's certainly fortuitous that another series didn't have a gigantic mob shouting about a main character and the main love interest got up on stage and defended their honor for them because it would be real awkward if they just yeah. had that happen in another series. Hey, um, it's not like it's not like we haven't drawn comparisons between Mashal and other very well-known fr- uh, franchises. So, yeah. Oh, well. 
Uh, so Lemon gets up there and is basically like, I disagree. I don't think we should judge people on their magic skills. And people are like, fuck you. Who even are you? <laughs> and she's like, I'm Mash Burn Dead's wife. <laughs> and everyone's like, he's married? I just like Mash being like, oh, no. And then she's she collaborates. No, actually more like soulmates. We're joined by the red manacles of fate. Do you have a problem with that, you jerks? And then Dot shows up and he's like, I'm Mash Burn Dead's agent. And I'm going to read a statement for Mash Burn Dead. Fuck yourselves. <laughs> all of you suck. Suck it. Suck, suck, suck it. You all suck. Everyone sucks but me. Uh, and they're just like, what, you're going to take us all on? And uh, basically, Lemon and Dot are just like, grr, grr, protect Mash. Mash did no wrong. And they start throwing rocks at Lemon. You know, uh, with magic. Yeah. No, not, not with magic. He just throws a rock like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, they just throw rocks. And uh, Mash tries to go out, and Lance stops him and says, just bear it. And Lemon says, all right, if you're going to punish Mash, then you have to punish uh, him for having... You have to punish me if you're going to punish him for something as ridiculous as not having magic. So throw rocks at me, spit insults at me, and she she just thinks, why did you come back for me back in that maze? I thought your personal reasons might be like mine. I felt bad for you, and... She just thinks, you know, someone like him, someone so kind, could never be bad. I believe in him. And uh, Super Shithead Extreme, that's not his name, but it might as well be, comes in, he's like, leave it to a woman to get emotional oh about this. God, he's just like so immediately like, fuck this guy. Yeah, that's not how the world works. <laughs> That's I know a, they're all being mean to yeah. her and throwing rocks at her and stuff, but fuck that guy in particular. Yeah, he's just like, that's not how the world works, sweetheart. Uh, she's a sinner, corrupting it. Show no mercy. Capture her. Which I'm like, you can storm the school at that point? What do you mean, capture her? Uh, Mash shows up and blocks a bunch of rocks from being thrown at her this time. And he, super McDouchebag guy is like ha he'll be easy to catch without magic prison wall and captures mash in walls that are 15 centimeters thick capable of trapping even large magical beasts and he's trying to continue his explanation and mash's finger pokes out of the cage and he's like huh and then he pokes out a bunch of times he's like well that's not those walls are 15 centimeters thick, capable of trapping even large magical beasts. And Matt's just clearly poking his fingers through to make a hole. And the guy's just like, no, but those are walls 15 centimeters thick, capable of trapping even large magical beasts. Um, and Mash breaks out, grabs the cage, throws it on top of the guy. And then I don't know how, because physically I don't understand how he did it. He throws the door and seals the cage back up again. <laughs> uh, and then he finishes it by being like, hey, look, I, I I, know it's been this way for a long time and you feel like you can't accept that things are different, but I will rise to the top of the magic world and I'll prove that not having magic is totally okay too. And people don't seem super on board with it, but then Wahlberg shows up and he's like, oh, it seems my decision has surprised some of you however the final exam at the bureau will be what determines how he is dealt with so in the meantime i ask for your patience and he turns to mash and he's like to find even one person in life who will speak up on your behalf is a rarity 
You have excellent friends. I'm so proud of all of you. And Mash's like, yeah, I've gotten so much from going to school here, and that's why I will win this final battle. And Wahlberg looks on, thinking, if you fail, your supporters will be charged with helping you. Victory is the only path to acceptance, Mashburn did. And then Lemon comes in and says, and then we get married! Mash says, why? And Dot just goes, ah! I think he still has a crush on Lemon, so. Probably. Yeah. I, I really like this chapter. Uh, there was some of that wonderful Mashal humor of just Mash being ridiculous and the magical people just not knowing how to deal with it. I really like that every time he does something, the guy just repeats his explanation of his of his prison, which is so absurdly long-winded and complex. <laughs> and like the more you hear it, the more you're like, yeah, that is kind of just a ridiculous explanation for an hour, <laughs> isn't it? And hey, yeah, Lemon got to do something, and it was pretty nice. It was nice to have some insight into, hey, yeah, it's not that she's just completely love-struck with Mash. She does have reasons for following him, which are this that he's just really, really nice. And you know what? Yeah, that's reason enough to want to be friends with someone. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's fun. It's good times. That said, let us move on now to the elusive samurai. Chapter 35, question and answer 1334. Of course, last time, uh, Tokiyuki had to go out and speak with Sawamura, who suspects him of being a Hojo, or of being closely connected to the Hojo. And so they are engaged in a war of words. Hmm. So, Sawamura begins by, by preparing his first arrow and says, you know, for an uncouth warrior of Suwa, you sit with unnatural grace. But Tokiyuki responds, well, I believe it was uncouth of you to graze a shrine man's ear with an arrow, which I do really like that, that he brings yeah. that up and he's still holding that against him uh, this after this long. Uh, but he's just replies by saying, well, that happens in, in war. I know better than most that etiquette cannot prevail in open conflict. And I hear that after the dog competition, you've taken up arms to impede my efforts. What a child you are. You must be the son of a renowned warrior. Declare your lineage as you would in battle. <laughs> All right, that's a pretty crazy demand to make, but okay. Fair enough, I guess. Tokiyuki immediately answers with this fake story saying that his ancestor was a resident of the area who was appointed a chief guard in the shrine. And so he has taken up the cause as his son after he's died. Uh, and somewhere is analyzing all this with his eyes and it's like, oh, he's, his posture is not he's not flinching or hesitating at all. Uh, if he is lying, then he must have been thoroughly prepared. Uh but he looks in some documents that he's got because he's like, no, we're going to get this kid. And he's like, ah, oh, your parents died in a fire last year. And your son and their son was reported to have died as well. But the locals claim that the fire killed the children. Uh, but again, Tokiyuki's prepared for this. He's got a whole story cooked up saying, 
I abandoned my parents in order to escape the fire, and in shame, I fled to the shrine. The fire destroyed the bodies of the victims, and so everyone just assumed I had perished. Uh, and Tokiyuki does also feel really bad about the fact that he's using this dead person as a cover. He feels like he's disgracing them by doing so, but he's like, I'm sorry, I gotta do this. Uh, then Sarmer brings up the two closest of Tokiyuki's elusive warriors, Kojiro and Ayako. And I think we learn something from here that hasn't been brought up before, which is their family situations, where he says Kojiro belongs to the Nezu family. Ayako is an Ill illegitimate daughter of the Mochizuki family. And so both of them have these bloodlines that have long flourished in the area. So why would they serve as the guard of the child of a guard? But Tokiyuki replies with, well, you know, Back when we first met at the shrine, I won a game of tag with them. And so after that, they just started calling me Lord, and they've been playing at being my retainers as preparation for them to serve their true lords in the future. Why is the Shugo Ashinado interested in mere child's play? And this is visualized by Tokiyuki having plucked the latest arrow fired at him from the air and approaching Samura to hold one at his neck in turn. Well, it's specifically like the the arrow when he brings up like the two guards, it's shown as like an arrow being locked inside of Sadamune's throat, like he's pulling it back. Oh yeah, and then I and then Tok Tokiyuki comes up and basically grabs it before it can be launched and breaks it, and then has his own arrow up to his throat. And I'm like, it's such a fucking extra way to show that that exchange was like turned about, but it's it's pretty fucking awesome. Mm. So. He's getting pissed off about this. So he's like, all right. He's just getting more and more confident. He's not even afraid to answer me anymore. It's like he's enjoying this or something. What? Tokiyuki enjoying being chased? <laughs> ah, how could you believe, believe it? So he's got another scheme, though. And so he calls in Shinzaburo, the really creepy guy who was waiting outside with Ayako. And he enters uh, and is introduced with, do you remember this man? And Tokiyuki's like, Tokiyuki says, Oh, were you at the dog hunt? But he says, yes, but I also served in Kamakura. I am well acquainted with the city and have often traveled to regions in inhabited by the Hojo and its chief vassals. And I have seen this boy many times. I am certain of it. So immediately they're like, okay, how's he going to respond? Is he going to be evasive? If he is, is he going to refuse to answer? He's going to be shocked, right? He's going to go, what? That can't be. And he's going to hesitate. But instead, Tokiyuki just looks over his shoulder and says to Shinzaburo, why are you lying? It's a pretty awesome moment. <laughs> and he says, look, I'm, I was the child of a lonely guard. I never visited the homes of the powerful. But of course, in reality, Tokiyuki just is very confident that this guy's never seen me. Anytime that I went out public, I was in a cover. I was being I was kept out of public sight. And when I went out by myself, I was really good at hiding away from people. This guy does, has never seen me before. There's no way he has seen me and I haven't seen him and don't recognize him. So he's very cocky now at this point because like, yeah, don't mess with an elusive noble boy. And Shinzoburo tries to object to this saying, no, no, no. I was in Kamakura for five years and I know all about this. And, but Tokiyuki 
kind of relates this to it's like he's being really clumsily chased, which means that he has the opportunity to counterattack instead of just evading. And he says, you're free to lie if you wish, but this is very rude, Sadamune. Did the Yogasawara clan dispatch a liar as messenger to Sua? And this is and Shinzaburo basically gets knocked out of the room by the by the accusation. Uh, he stumbles backwards and is dismissed and is just really bad leaves. So Sadamune realizes, mm, okay, he's not going to betray himself. Either he is good at hiding or he really is unrelated to Hojo. So Ichikawa, big ears guy, arrives. And this seems to be the thing that Sanamune has really been waiting for. Ayako seems to immediately know what's going to be up because she excuses herself, saying to Shinzaburo, I gotta go fucking pee. So she leaves. Uh, Sanamune brings in Ichikawa and says, you know, I wasn't simply being rude earlier. I really do suspect you of being a hojo. Any remaining hojo would sow disorder, and so I must employ every means of capturing them. My final resort is to observe your facial expressions up close and listen for the truth in your heartbeat. And he leans in until he's about four inches away from Tokiyuki's face while Ichikawa presses his ear against Tokiyuki's chest to listen to his heartbeat so that they will get... They're basically a living (laughs) lie detector. Yeah. So he says, all right, no lies now. The crucial question... Are you a Hojo? But at that moment, Ichikawa is distracted because there's music outside. And so they both back up and are like, what, what, what the hell's going on? And Ayako is outside and is doing a very loud music and dance performance of some sort. And she's drawing a huge crowd because she dances so beautifully. And she's also calling out to people saying, hey, let's see if any of you can outdance me. And that's the chapter. Yeah. Looks like Ayako's going to come in handy here when uh, Tokyuki looks like he's on on the ropes. And uh, not just resorting to uh, being brutally strong. She has other uh, abilities. She's more clever than she lets on. Yeah. Because that was the big thing at the start of this is Tokyuki's like, is she kind of an idiot? And it looks like she she could be pretty creative when she needs to. Um. I mean, the art is what sells this chapter. Like, their back okay. and forth is is decent, but just how extra all the arrows are being fired when the one guy comes in, his tongue turns into a dagger at, at Tokyuki's throat. It's all just so grandiose and ridiculous that it, it just sells the whole conflict. It's paced very well. And yeah, for a, a, a chapter that is about a bunch of people talking down to a little kid, it is way more exciting than it has any right to be. Yeah. All right, Nick, let's talk about... Oh, hold on. Oh, no. What's happening? Uh, What's but happening? Nick! That's thanks Thanksgiving joke. Why is that in here? What's happening? What do you mean? I'm reading a book. Uh, no! Why did Dracula get tricked out of his lollipops? Out of his lollipops? His lollipops. I don't know. Low blood sugar? Because he's a sucker. Oh, I dropped it. Uh, You know what? 
that that I didn't laugh, but at least there are two different puns being made there. Yeah, because of the sucker thing. So it's ingenious. It's no, it's book not. But worth its weight in gold. Forty-eight dollars. That's all this cost. <laughs> it was first That's edition. Terrifying. Uh, let's move on to Black Clover, page 308. You know Grin Burial, which, if you forgot, is his full name. So, Langris... <laughs> Langris and Finrell are together now. Nothing could possibly stop. They're defeated. Uh, they've been beaten. Uh, you know wakes up. They're already done. Uh, they had a moment where they tried to erase his heart, but, uh... It, it can't. It's Devil's Heart. It doesn't work anymore. And you know, it's like, what? Nothing's working. Even if I get up, what could I possibly do? Did I make the wrong choice? And he thinks back to how, like, oh, you know, like the inciting incident of all this. He's like, half of my companions were killed, and I made sure that they heard me loud and clear at the captain's conference that I was going to be in this unit. I trained like my life depended on it, and this is how it's going to be in the end. I'm going to die. And it's like a shot of, you know, on the ground with his, his grimoire right next to him. And he says, is this all I was worth? Everyone called me a genius. They said I was the hope of the village. I was chosen, acknowledged, envied, hated, trusted. I suffered loss. And I swore I made a vow with him. And this is not all I am. And he starts to get up and a voice says, yes, that's right. I am you. But you have your own strength as well. And a book with a spade on the cover appears before you know. And now it's not the same book as his current one. His current one's on the ground. He says, oh, Grimoire. And uh, a bunch of old people from Spade Kingdom are like, what Master Yuno is. And we see, I forget if this is Leash or Patry. Uh, it must be Patrick because he says leash. He's like, I thought it his wind magic. It's leashed in uh, Tetia's kitten, you know, his son, basically. And Yuno gets up and says, I will save my captain and the others. I'm going to save the kingdom, become the wizard king. And so you're going down. As it turns out, Nick, all this time, Yuno has been casting spells that were the elf reincarnated spirit inside of him spells never truly unlocking his spells. And this new book, that is the book of you know Grim Burial. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Serious name. It's very intimidating. Yeah, you know Grim Burial. <laughs> no, no, just all one word. Grim Burial. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, wouldn't it be funny if he tried to use the spells from the other book, but he didn't have any practice with them, so they sucked. <laughs> that was how it worked. Oh, yeah, he goes into it, he's like, what magic is this? You know, wool magic. That sucks. Wait, I don't sp I don't speak spade magic language. <laughs> oh, Spanglish. <laughs> I can't um, read this. I don't know how to feel about this chapter. I think that some of the moments must be very good for someone who is much more invested into the series than me and in particular into the character of you know uh i do appreciate that there is this big moment of introspection that you know has where he thinks about like i put in so much work and there were so many people who had so many expectations of me am i really just going to die 
and not make a difference even in this battle. Uh, and then he gets the determination and, you know, oh, showing in power at moment. And he, you know, is going to fulfill his destiny and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not going to say anything in regards to it's like, oh, whatever. Oh, a new grimoire appeared and he's going to power up and stuff. I'm also not even going to reflect on the fact that like, oh, he, he remembers Asta and how he made a promise with him. And that's what gives him the strength to go on when it, this entire arc <laughs> seems to have been about establishing other facets of Yuno's character. And we're uh-huh. just going back to that. I, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Despite the fact that I can look at certain parts of it and go, I do like the way that this builds up and the way that it delivers with the big, you know, emotional punches of, you know, hefting himself up off the ground and then the two grimoires appear and it does create a striking visual. But it just didn't work for me. And I I don't know exactly why. I can totally understand it. I do. I think I like this chapter a little bit more than you. Um, I do like the little moments of showing, like, you know, staring at the graves of all of his, you know, fallen members and him talking about, like, I can't die here. I made such a big show of myself at that captain's meeting. I trained so hard. It can't end like this. Just like the denial of it. And the twist is relatively decent. Like, I get it. I'm sure there are some people who have actually been calling this, you know, prediction for years now. Especially once it was revealed that Yuno was from the Spade Kingdom. Why does he have a Clover Kingdom book at that point then? Like, oh, because he's, you know, Leash and uh, Tetria's kid or whatever. So that's where that part comes in. It does play a little bit into, like, the very super special, awesome Yuno character archetype that mm-hmm. he falls into. But I, I'm relatively okay with it. I'm I'm, I'm fine. I'm I'm somewhat excited to see where this goes but i i also could see where you're coming from where i'm like there's parts of this that probably would work a lot better if i just liked black clover more pretty much and in particular like you know a lot more yeah. but i do like some of the parts of it i i honestly do really like the bit where you know is just broken on the ground and can't get up and he's bleeding and crying and he's like i can't no, is this really what's going to happen? Like, you, I do feel that emotion. It's just that when you get the payoff of, and then he's got another grimoire. Eh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We are given someone another grimoire or another, another spell appeared in the book again. Yeah. Huzzah. <laughs> All right. Shall we conclude with one piece then? I guess if we must. Okay. If we must. Okay. If we must. Set sail for One Piece, chapter 1028, Uh, which has a um, two-page color spread at the beginning that is um, very clearly a Super Smash Brothers thing that's going on. Is it specifically? So I thought it was just video games in general. Um, and well, I, I, I only say Zoro, that because... Zoro is Link. Zoro is Link. I only say it because uh, the closest comparison I thought for Robin was Morgan. And I was like, she's not a character yeah. in Smash. And I can't tell what Brooke is. She I have does no idea. She like Morgan. Uh, Frankie is Donkey Kong. Yeah. Luffy is... He's uh, Akuma. Right. Okay, so it's probably just... It is probably just fighting games in general. Which is kind of weird to think that Smash Brothers is on is just a fighting game alongside like Street Fighter and 
such. Well, you know. a lot of the characters are Smash characters. Like, Mario's not in another fighting game. Yeah. I think Chopper's supposed to be mm-hmm. Pikachu. So, like, I assume it is mostly Mario, like, Super Smash Brothers. But, like, I, there's a couple people I'm like, I don't know who they're supposed to be. I have no idea what Chopper's supposed to be, but I I assume Pikachu. I, o- I, I only say it because of the tail. Oh, well, I, I okay. The shape of it. I see that. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's much it's much crazier that Nami and Usopp are, are lead gamers that have gaming chairs <laughs> than anything else. Yeah. Uh, but I do like Nami's uh, cat, uh, cat ear head headset. Well, of course, Nami. Because she totally that, yeah. would have one. Yeah. She totally would have one of those. So. Also, it's made of gold, which I don't think is going to be very comfortable to wear on your head. Very heavy. <laughs> Probably doesn't get good sound. So. We cut to that room where the CP0 <laughs> have been this whole time. The room. And holy shit. <laughs> holy shit. It's Rob Lucci. <laughs> the real one. In there the whole time. Um, and he says that the reason that they're actually there, because they've been making all these observations about, you know, the troop numbers and stuff like that. He says that it started off as a battle of 30,000 to 5,400, and now it's 12,000 to 8,000, much, much, much closer. And Lucci says, the thing is, I can't envision Kaido being beaten. Uh, the person that he's on the line with says, yeah, I don't think so either. But Lucci says... There's one more order, though, about a member of the Straw Hat crew. Bring back Nico Robin. No matter which way the battle goes, that woman's existence is key to the forces of piracy. What? Rob Lucci wants to capture Robin? I I do like that. Lucci was defeated, and then the CP9 were given, like, sort of a side story cover page arc. And uh, the end goal of it is Rob Lucci is just he basically got a promotion upwards and he's still just like, I'm going to fucking get, <laughs> I'm going to get Robin this time. <laughs> like, it's kind of like, I like how a lot of the time, like the, the cover stories are like, here's how this character grew and changed, became this different thing. And now we have two examples of a character who just fail upwards. Like Rob Lucci and fucking fucking Wapple who went from being at the lowest to then taking over another kingdom and renaming it Evil Drum Kingdom, which is so fucking funny to me when I think about it. It would be like if someone like got kicked out of Germany and they took over fucking like Brazil and they're like, this is Evil Germany now. And everyone's like, all right, that's kind of weird. <laughs> oh, pretty sure that that is a story that has happened before considering that a lot of you know german people did flee to brazil around then yeah so. it was one of those things where Anywho, i said brazil so, like i wish i'd picked a different country in retrospect but yeah we're already here oh well. yes yeah, that didn't happen so uh brooke is trying to help out robin as they're fighting off different people uh who are shouting very obviously capture her don't kill her <laughs> just giving the game away a little bit um we cut to Onigashima then, where Momonosuke is having a hard time doing their plan of, oh, I'll summon flame clouds so that it'll hold up the island because, like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, 
They're, of course, under a time limit. And Yamato's response to Momonosuke being like, no, don't leave me alone. I don't know what to do. Is to just uh, stop whining and do it. <laughs> Finish it off. So, but Momonosuke eventually does get to the point of like, okay, okay, I, I've got to do this. If I don't do this, then countless people will die. Meanwhile, Yamato is also has another part of the plan that he's going to work on as he is climbing up the rocks on the bottom of the floating Onigashima, having told Momonosuke like, hey, you've got to, you know, try and hold the skull dome up, but I'm going to head back to it to try and keep the damage to a minimum in the case of disaster because the armory beneath the dome contains countless explosives and if I don't do something about them the worst case scenario could be dozens of times more destructive what if he just gets down there and the armory is just full of exploding handcuffs just all the bombs are handcuffs that he put that Kaido would put on you know troublesome children I don't know like an asshole yeah Yeah, well look we had to reconsider what are Kaido's good traits? And then we realize he has none, and we have to reconsider <laughs> what are his least awful traits. And hey, it's, hey, hey, he turns into a dragon. That's a pretty good trait. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, as a parenting trick, though, is it a good trait? <laughs> I, mm, That's what I thought. I don't know. <laughs> uh,. Okay, let me just. All right, I think I stopped an update. My computer started to run. Sorry about that. <gasps> so Yamato decides to go full beast form, which we see for the first time. He, of course, turns into you know a big old wolf. But hey, we see in the beast form now. There you go. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, Sanji is fighting with Queen, and he's having a hard time because Queen's metal body is so tough and heavy. And Queen is meanwhile demanding, hey, use your battlesuit thing. I know that you used it in the, when you fought against King earlier and it made you disappear. That was, you know, Judge of Science working, right? But Sanji's barely even listening to him. He's just thinking to himself, something's going on with my body. I, I feel off right now. Uh, Queen keeps on demanding that he put the suit, suit on. Uh, and Sanji's like, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to wear it because look, that, that's not my family and I'm not going to rely on their, on their abilities. Queen shoots a laser at him. <laughs> response. Great rebuttal. <laughs> uh, so Sanji responds with a Diable Hamble ability and uses grill shot, which makes a grill pattern that appear. Is extremely Queen. awesome, actually. It knocks Queen backwards, and so Queen turns into his beast form as well, and he goes full Brachiosaurus. So, uh, he says, "All right, your organic kick is really powerful. So let me let me stash the mechanisms and show you pure Dino Terror, Dinosaur." It's <laughs> a very serious moment. Get, get ruled the world for hundreds of millions of years so witness the raw power of the king and so he takes a stance and strains his neck out and his tail out behind him and everyone's like yeah the true power of the ancients and the tail bats up against a wall behind him as the queen declares brachiosnakus and his neck and tail launch out of his quadruped body as a giant snake. 
It's so confusing. I love that this is like canonically though this is starting to become what dinosaurs just do in this world <laughs> because they've said that that's what they do <laughs> triceratops fly with their frills and brachiosauruses could separate their neck and tail from the rest of the body and become a snake so everyone reacts in utter shock at this and says is that how it works <laughs> And Sanji is so shocked that he doesn't even dodge. So Queen's snake body coils around Sanji and starts squeezing as he declares, this is what the Brachiosaurus can do. And Sanji says, damn it, I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, that's what dinosaurs do. None of us did, Sanji. Uh, Queen declares that no one has ever escaped from the clutches of the Brachiocoilus, which is the name of this technique, I guess. Uh, and it's a real problem for Sanji because apparently this squeezing power doesn't make a difference against color, uh, uh, rather color of armament hockey doesn't make a difference against squeezing pressure. And, uh, there's more on top of this. <laughs> Look for a normal Brachiosaurus that leftover material referring to the entire rest of his body would be as useless as legs on a snake. But I am a scientist, so I equipped brachio launchers on my torso. And if I call out their name, they'll shoot right at the brachio launchers shoot him while he's clear. That's the best joke of the whole of anything, is just them shooting him and be like, Ah, brachio things, don't do that. Ah, they did it again. So he gets shot by his own launchers twice and as a result of this he releases Sanji but he says ah but my chokehold did the job but then everyone's really freaked out about Sanji who stands up and his leg is clearly broken in three places and his spine is crunched up too and Sanji says I mean it hurts but I can still move just fine which of course makes no sense But uh, then his body seemingly snaps back into place all at once. And Sanji just says, what's wrong with me? Ah, no. I hope I didn't awaken latent powers like my siblings. (laughs) I mean, I guess it was set up that this could happen. Uh, So Queen gets frustrated and takes out a big ass katana and attacks Sanji from behind with it, cutting him right through the neck. And Sanji's neck does not give in the slightest as the sword breaks in half on his body. And Sanji just says, as this happens, ow. Oh, I don't want to be like this. (laughs) And uh, that's where the chapter ends. Uh, I did love the people who kept tweeting the image of Spongebob when he fights the dude who's going to beat him up and the dude starts punching him and Spongebob doesn't feel anything. So he just goes about his day and like being like that Sanji at the moment. I was like, yeah, it really is. Because I do like the idea of Queen just trying to hit him over and over again. Be like, why don't you feel pain anymore? Yeah. Why don't you get broken? Uh, it's just a really funny Queen chapter. It's just really, really funny. I, I fucking love him just being like, no, the Brachio launchers, you're not supposed to do that. And then getting shot again is the best part. And it's the same panel both times, basically. Yeah, just the same pose of his head coming out of the smoke cloud. And yeah, it's, with the sound it's, effect of Kadoosh the second time. <laughs> yeah, see, they're not identical panels. The sound effects completely yeah. different between them. 
Kaboom versus Kadoosh. <laughs> do you have any thoughts on Sanji developing uh, Vin Smoke powers at all? I do. Uh, Nick, what is a zombie's favorite kind of cheese? Is it Goulda? No, that's another good one, though. Limburger. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I get it. Oh, that's fine. No, it, it, it'll be an interesting thing to explore probably in the future. Yeah. <sighs> well, I'm glad we went on a high note at least. You know, that cheese. <laughs> I was going to say the Limburger joke, right? That's the high. <laughs> so you're saying I shouldn't do more. Because this is it's like a hundred some pages of jokes, Nick. I mean, I guess I want to make you get your money out of it. <laughs> you spent $48 on <laughs> Well, that's just the first payment. I gotta, it's like, you gotta do it in segments. The longer you hold on to the book, the more you've gotta pay the subscription fee. The more jokes I say, the more, yeah, that's a subscription fee. It's just $48 for the first couple months, you get a discount. But the annual fee is somewhere in the hundreds. It's $20 for the first joke, and then $8 for each joke. Every page I turn adds a couple extra dollars to this bill. You've got to like. It's equipped with Wi Fi. Yeah, <laughs> you flip the page and a little thing comes up that says confirm payment. <laughs> yeah, I had to scan my finger every time. I'm like, knock, knock, who's there? Oh, well, let me read the rest of the joke. On the side. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone somewhere good. I could feel it. Oh, man. It's like when you try to look up like uh, stuff. Um, like s some weird things are hidden behind paywalls. Like, have you ever tried to like uh pass like a mobile app trivia thing and you're like like i'm not gonna memorize this can i just look up the answers and someone's actually put them up online behind a paywall yeah you're like oh what come on so you're like try and find a thing that doesn't blur out the answers and you find out oh wait a minute that's just a fake image that's not the real text <laughs> you. you fucked me oh uh, i remember right. there was a period of time this is a tangent i'm sorry i just want to say it real quick though it's not a joke, I promise. Uh, I, there was a period of time where I was doing crossword puzzles, and I was like, "This will be a good way to like challenge my my intellect to like just get me thinking in a different way." And I'd run into it like one I didn't know, and I was like, "Well, this is obviously an opportunity to learn, so I'm going to go and do research to figure out the answer." And I found out that crossword puzzles just rerun the same things over and over. So the moment you type the clue, it just sends you to a page that tells you the answer. And I was like, oh, so I don't really learn anything here. I just find out what the answer is. And I was very disappointed. It's like when you learn that the people who are really good at Jeopardy don't just know a bunch of things. They've just gone to the same resource that has all the Jeopardy trivia questions stored there. And they can just study them and quiz themselves over and over and over again. Yeah, it's pretty heartbreaking. All right. That all said. That's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Let us close out by naming our favorites this week. MVP and uh, favorite uh, series chapter, please. Uh, I think... I think I'm going to give it to Elusive Samurai as my chapter of the week. I, I really... It's such a big, grandiose, dumb way of portraying it that I kind of have to appreciate it. I love that chapter from beginning to end with like no conditions applied to it at all. So I'm going to agree with you there, but I will give some credit. There were actually quite a few 
quite good chapters this week. Mm-hmm. Undead Unluck was good. Kaiju number eight had a fun battle. Uh, Red Hood, like I said, probably the best chapter <laughs> of the series so far, in my opinion. Uh, and Mashal was also really good. Yeah. So I'm going to say all that. But yes, it loses Samurai. I mean, it's been my favorite series for a while uh, of late. Uh, but this chapter was just really cool in the way it uses the visuals. Yeah. And then for my character of the week, I'm a bit more torn. I kind of want to give it to Andy, but I gave it to him last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think I'm just going to go with what the audience eventually says and, and go with Queen. Just because I, the Brachio Launcher joke is pretty funny. I'm going to agree with you. I mean, I I could not keep my composure while going over it. Like it, it's it's so stupid, and it's not just the neck launching thing. It's also the launchers. It's just four really entertaining pages in a row that are all that he is entirely responsible for. So yeah, Queen. I think this might be the first time this year where we and the audience agree on everything because the audience also picked the elusive samurai and queen as their answers so i think all of us agreed straight across the board cool there you go i think if i'm reading this this chart right well that is going to do it for this week everybody but don't 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 turn out away just yet. We've we've got announcements to make before we go out. But before we get to that, I want to thank people who help us make the show what it is. People who, for example, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash weekly manga recap, where we create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We also want to thank people who help put the podcast together and do some extra stuff. Ninja X3I does a lot of extra things that make things in general much easier on Chris and myself, such as maintaining the Google Doc that we reference for MVP and weekly series voting for recommended series that you can contribute your uh, your picks for a future series for us to cover as well to that. And you can find that by going on the Discord server where you have a wonderful community that talks about the chapters as they come out each week, talks about the recommendation that we're working our way through, and also has bi-weekly game nights. So go to give that a sh- uh, check out and uh, use that to find a Google Doc and just talk about manga and other geeky things on there. We also want to thank Milo Jack Stillitz and Wesley Dell Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap, which you can see in the video versions of the show on YouTube, as well as Steve Mann, who makes occasional tile cards for us that you can also see on the YouTube channel. And you can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet, including twitter.com slash art. And uh, check out our podcast in all the different places. Uh, WeeklyMangaRecap.Podbean.com is where all the audio files are posted. You can also check it out on Spotify, on iTunes, and on YouTube. However, we have a we have, October is not yet over, which means one of several things now, apparently. And I'm not sure which. It means, however, that there is a new series that we are going to be covering soon. And that is going to be announced by my co-host. Nick! Where do zombies buy their snacks? Uh, Can't die store? I don't know. That's a good one. No, at the grocery store. A lot of these aren't like horror specific. It's really... mm. Well, it's, you know, like 400 spooky jokes for kids, so... (laughs) Not all of them are good. 
Yeah, you know, sometimes you pay eight dollars for a joke and it just doesn't turn out. It's like it's like loot boxes for jokes. Yes, yeah. I got a lot of commons in here, not a lot of rares. <laughs> Very few legendaries. How do monsters style their hair? With grease. With scare spray. Anyways, many of you have asked, are we being spooky for Halloween this year or gay? And to that I say, por que no las dos? So that is why we will be discussing, as recommended to us by Skimono, The Night Beyond the Tricornered Window, which is about gay boys and ghosts. Okay. I'm saving that one now. Okay. And hopefully this Boy Love series will not be as bad as the Carito Prime one. <laughs> yeah, we got your name down, Skimono. <laughs> as recommended by Skimono. If you see that come up in the title next time. I'm just you know saying, a precedent has been set. <laughs> we must break it now. Mustn't break it. But no, we have to break. We want to break the the, the precedent that horror mon- that boys love manga to read have sucked. Oh no, I was saying that we must not break the precedent that if a series sucks, that we blame oh, the person. That will stay forever if it sucks. That was never in question. <laughs> we're going to put your name on Bulast, as it were. Wow. Okay. That's going to do it. I didn't even need the book for that one. I still got it, baby. Still, I got the groove back. Or boom back. Why are you paying so much money for it? (laughs) Got a lot of disposable income. All right, guys. Next time, we will see you here on Weekly Manga Recap. I will once again be reporting from my apartment. And presumably, the Spookmaster General will be reporting from... <laughs> from Transylvania, we established. I live no, here. From from jail after everything he owns has been repossessed. <laughs> they can send you to jail for being poor? <laughs> yes. No! <laughs> this country, it's the true horror. Dun, dun, dun.